Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. Did you know that you can claim CME credits for many of the TMA Practice Well podcast episodes? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash CME T-O-G-O, to register for your episode and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and standards at the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products devices, or services may be discussed in the context at the CME activity. The planners and speakers for this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this program should not be used or referred to as primary legal sources and does not replace the advice of your healthcare attorney nor should the information and opinions presented as part of this program be construed as establishing medical standards of care for the purposes of litigation, including expert testimony. The standard of care is dependent upon the particular facts and circumstances of each individual case, and no generalization can be made that would apply in all cases. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the TMA Education Center and produce the TMA Practice Well podcast. My guest today is Lindy McGee, a general pediatrician who practices in Pasadena, Texas. She is also a member of the Academic General Pediatrics Division at Texas Children's Hospital, where her research focuses on cancer prevention in the adolescent population. Her interest in cancer prevention has led to projects on increasing HPV vaccination rates in teens and on e-cigarette education for healthcare providers and the public. Dr. McGee is also involved in advocacy at the state level on vaccine and e-cigarette legislation. Today, I'm happy to share Dr. McGee's popular program on the rise of e-cigarettes in teens. Dr. McGee provides an in-depth look at how vaping became so prevalent among teens and young adults and discusses what physicians can do to help patients avoid and overcome nicotine addiction. To get the full CME details and to claim credit for this episode, click the link in the episode description. And now, welcome Dr. McGee. Hi, I'm so glad you're joining. Um, to, I'm gonna talk a little bit today about the rise in e-cigarette use in teens and just how do we get to this horrible situation we're in with e-cigarettes and teens and what you can do about it as a provider. Um, my name is Lindy McGee and I'm an assistant professor at Baylor College of Medicine in uh, general pediatrics. Um, so I'll really be talking about it from the pediatrician perspective. However, what I'm saying really applies to anyone who's using e-cigarettes. So especially the young adults who are using it as well. A lot of the same 
manipulation and messaging um, is the same. Um, and then I think pertinent to this discussion too is I have two teenagers at home. So I am living um, this whole reality as a parent as well. So we're going to start off talking about the rise in e-cigarette use in adolescence and the regulatory environment that allowed it to happen, because it was certainly something that we allowed to happen, unfortunately. Um, we were not, as public health officials, on the ball with this one. We need to recognize how the vaping industry is really selectively targeting teens and young adults through nicotine, advertising, and flavors. Um, I'll help you identify some anti-vaping message which are particularly resonating with teens and young adults right now. And um, just talk about the advocacy because that's really where we're gonna change things is at a regulatory level and uh, how we're gonna do that in Texas and nationally. So we have this huge public health triumph. Cigarette smoking has gone down and down and down. In 1997, the highest numbers we have, they didn't start tracking it much before then. I'm sure it may have been higher before then, but we had 36% of high school students were regularly using traditional cigarettes back in 1997. If you look at the numbers by 2014, 2015, we were close to around 10% at that point. So numbers were really going down when we were kind of gobsmacked with this e-cigarette use. Um, this is stats for the state of Texas. We know that adult and high schoolers still smoking. You can compare that high school smoking rate to high school tobacco use rate. Um, the difference between that is mostly e-cigarettes. That's the different tobacco they're using. But, you know, this causes huge amount of healthcare costs for the state of Texas and a preventable deaths. So how did we get here? E-cigarettes have actually been around since 2006. Um, they were first introduced to the U.S. market from China, but at that point, they were not as sexy as they are now, and they didn't work as well. So they were really targeted as more of a um, tobacco cessation device, not targeted towards youth as a way to get them introduced to tobacco. In 2011, we did start to add it to the National Youth Tobacco Survey, and at that point, 1.5% of high school students had said they had used those products in the past 30 days. In 2015, Juul was introduced to the market and that was the game changer. And we'll talk a few, a little bit about why Juul completely changed the game. In 2016, uh, FDA was granted authority to regulate e-cigarettes with the Child Nicotine Poisoning Prevention Act, but they decided to allow them to stay on the market until 2022 before requiring companies to apply for FDA authorization. So this is where I'm saying that we dropped the ball. We had the ability to start regulating the market in 2016 and decided that we're going to wait until 2022 to do anything about it, to, to require pre, what would they call pre-market authorization. In 2018, the National YouTube Tobacco Surveys reported a 20.8% of U.S. high school students had used e-cigarettes in the last 30 days. And that was the largest yearly increase in the survey in 44 years. So huge increase, completely gobsmacked the public health um, and pediatricians. This was just a public health disaster. And so at that point, Juul did start to get intense pressure um, and developed an action plan but at the same time, Altria, the makers of Marlboro cigarettes, bought a 35% stake in Juul. So big tobacco, traditional tobacco could see where we were headed here. So just looking at the numbers, by 2019, it was at 25%, and this is past 30-day use. It had started to go down a little bit, and um, in 2021 data, it looks like it's gone down a little bit more. However, with pandemic reporting, it's been really hard to tell. The way they did the National Youth Tobacco Survey is they sent 
sent iPads into school and had the kids answer the questions there at the beginning of 2021 because of the pandemic, half the kids were at home, half were at school. The half were at home were, were not reporting much e-cigarette use at all. Was that because they were lying because they were at home because their parents were there? Or it, were they really not using e-cigarettes because they were stuck at home and e-cigarette use is more of a social behavior amongst teens? So I talked about Juul and why was Juul just this big runaway success? And, you know, Juul had 80% of the market um, at one point. And the reason why is a couple of things. So uh, it looks like an Apple product. It's very sleek in its design. It plugs into a USB port to recharge it. They didn't try to make it look like a cigarette. They tried to make it look like its own cool thing. The second thing they did was they patented a special nicotine salt. So in what that let them able to do is put a higher nicotine content without irritating the throat. So the old forms of nicotine were more basic and it caused throat irritation and coughing more. Um, they acidified it, they turned it into a salt and it allowed to add higher doses of nicotine without that throat irritation and allowed it's a form of nicotine that gets in your bloodstream faster and delivers it faster to the brain. So in Juul's patent um, application, they brag about how it delivers the nicotine up to 2.7 times faster than other e-cigarettes on the market. The reason why I'm kind of calling out Juul is because they have 80% of the market share by 2019. I talked a little bit about pre-market authorization and the Child Nicotine um, Prevention Act. I want to talk a little bit about it because this is what's been in the news uh, a lot lately with e-cigarettes. So pre-market authorization is where the vaping industry, the people making vaping products, must demonstrate that the product is appropriate for the protection of public health. They need to look at the risk and benefit to the population as a whole. They need to say whether people who currently use any tobacco product would be more or less likely to stop using those products. But importantly for me on the pediatric side, they need to also show whether people who currently do not use any tobacco products would be more or less likely to begin using them. So this is a push and pull with e-cigarette advocacy and legislation and regulation. Are people using e-cigarettes to get adults to stop smoking? Or is the e-cigarette industry getting kids to start smoking? And what kind of trade-offs are we looking at there? So that's what we're really going to be looking at. And that's what the FDA asked the vaping industry to uh, prove before they would allow this authorization. So in 2019, a federal judge looked at what the FDA had done, their decision to put it off to 2022, and said this delay in regulation was so extreme to amount to abdication of its statutory responsibility. They gave them a May 2020 deadline to require pre-market authorization. In August of 2019, of course, we started having those first cases of lung disease due to vaping, our E-Valley e-cigarette or vaping-associated lung injury, which started in the Midwest and subsequently spread nationwide. I think one of the youngest deaths from that was actually in the Dallas area. September 1st, 2019, we had a new Texas law requiring you to be 21 years old to buy all tobacco products in the state of Texas. Now, you should know that people who were 18 at the time were grandfathered in. So actually, 20-year-olds are out there now able to buy tobacco products, including e-cigarettes in the state of Texas. And um, there was also an exemption for people in the military. The leaders of the military didn't necessarily want that. They don't necessarily want their recruits vaping. But our legislators thought it was important that uh, members of the military be allowed to buy cigarettes or vapes if they want. 
In September 2019, uh, Juul announced a new CEO pulled directly from the tobacco industry. And in December of 2019, uh, the national age of 21 to buy tobacco was signed into law. This is variably enforced at the state level. So some states basically said, oh, we're not going to enforce this at all. But Texas does have that law. In 2020, the FDA announced a ban on all flavored pods except for menthol. And so it's really important to know all the caveats there. So I would you know, we'll talk a lot about flavors and the importance of banning flavors. Here, they banned flavored pods and except for menthol. Um, and that went to effect of February 6, 2020. Of course, that same month, we had our first known death due to COVID-19 reported in the U.S. And at that point, all public health, all FDA, all FD CDC attention went to COVID appropriately. But it did kind of set back the regulatory environment as far as e-cigarette regulation. So now, instead of the May 2020 deadline, they uh, they bumped it back to September 2020 deadline, and that was for all of the vaping industry to get their pre-market authorization orders in. But they then had a year to the FDA to decide. So by September 9th, 2021, the FDA said that they would have their decision on whether these products were allowed to be on the market. Spoiler alert, didn't happen. So uh, what happened? So I talked about the pods being banned, and this is what that means. The jewel has this little pod, and this is an old jewel, so it has a mango pod. Um, and so this mango pod, I would not be able to buy anymore. I could buy a tobacco flavored pod, or I could buy a menthol flavored pod for my jewel. So what happened when they banned the flavored pods? Kids switched over to the puff bar, and this is disposable. It comes in a at least 50 different flavors, and uh, it doesn't have a pod in it. You just use this up and throw it away instead of recharging it and replacing the pod. So the, the regulation, you know, just banning pods really did nothing as far as it made Juul less popular, but other brands just came in and took its place. So the, as far as Juul, what happened is a lot of kids just switched to menthol. Um, they kind of sell that as mint flavor, but what also happened is they switched to puff bars. The pre-filled pods, cartridges, the rates of those went down, but disposable e-cigs went way, way up. So, you know, the high schoolers just switched. 2.4% um, were using disposable e-cigs like Puff Bar, and now 26.5% are using disposable e-cigarettes. In May of 2021, Juul paid for a whole takeover of a journal, the American Journal of Health Behavior. September 1st, 2021 was a Texas uh, law requiring permitting to go into effect. So that was a legislative victory. Uh, September 9th of 2021, that was the big day we were waiting for. The FDA was supposed to announce their marketing applications determination. And they did announce that on more than um, almost a million flavored e-cigarette products, but that didn't include 78% of the market. So what they did, every little vape shop sent in an application for each of the flavors that they make there. So the FDA got millions of applications. And what they mostly did was just say, oh, all of those vape shop flavors, y'all aren't authorized. You didn't give us enough information, but it left the big players, the puff bar, the jewel, completely um, uh, on, on a limb. Uh, so they made no decision on those yet. September 28, 2021, there was a letter to the FDA from seven public health organizations, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, asking them to expedite the decision on the large market share product. 
The 2021 National Youth Tobacco Survey, you can see the most commonly used brands are Puff Bar, Fuse, Smoke, Jewel, and Soren. The Jewel has gone way down from 80% of the market share to now 5.7% of the market share, but disposable ones like Puff Bar and Views have gone up. The FDA did announce on one product, and that was the Views Solo. Uh, Views was 10.8% of the market share for youth. Um, and they said that View Solo is allowed to remain on the market in their tobacco flavored e-liquid pods. So they would not allow the other flavors, except they said we haven't decided about menthol yet. So tobacco flavored is allowed. Menthol is still out on a limb. Other flavors not allowed. Um, and that's for the Views Solo, which actually, even though I said Views is 10% of the market share, Views comes in two different types. Uh, solo is one of the type and Solo is the least popular type. So still, they have not made a decision on most of the products that are used by youth. The American Academy of Pediatrics had a scathing response to this, you know, very upset that the uh, FDA is allowing the Views Solo, considering the Views is the second most popular e-cigarette brand. Another thing, you know, like I said, the Juul developed this nicotine salt that allowed for higher concentrations. Other parts of the world have actually put regulation on the amount of nicotine that's allowed in e-cigarette liquid. Um, the U.S. has not. So, you know, one of the things that we were hoping the FDA would do is limit the amount of nicotine that's allowed to be in e-cigarettes. With Views Solo, they did not do that. 4.8% um, is a high nicotine concentration product, and that's what Views Solo is. So disappointed that they made that decision as well. And then, you know, disappointed that they're still considering authorizing menthol flavored products. Menthol flavored products could be its whole, uh, another lecture. And menthol uh, has a long history within the tobacco industry and particularly targeting um, persons of color in the U.S. So uh, as a way to get and keep persons of color addicted to nicotine. So what is the current regulation? They're, they have to have that warning label on it. And that warning label has to comprise 30% of the space. So if I look at my jewel that I bought, it has this warning label on it. They're supposed to be in um, child resistant packaging. I'm able to open these things up extremely easily. You're not allowed to sell them in vending machines. You can't give out free samples. That's a new, at the beginning, they gave out free samples all over the place. So at least they regulated that. You're supposed to have age verification for internet sales. I tried that out myself. I went and bought one of these products online. I just had to say that I was over 21. They delivered it. And when my daughter was here, who is not over 21, they did not require a signature from her or anything for her to get it. So very, it was very easy for me to buy online just by saying I'm over 21. The other thing that Puff Bar is doing right now is trying to say that it is not, FDA is not allowed to regulate it because it's not a tobacco product because they use synthetic nicotine. So this is where kind of the regu regulation is going to go from here and what they're going to try and get away with. They say this product contains tobacco-free nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. And so, you know, every state has laws that are written differently. And so if they specify only tobacco and not nicotine as what is regulated, um, things like PEPFAR may be able to get away with this. The interesting thing is the only way to tell the difference between synthetic nicotine 
and nicotine from the tobacco plant is actually, you have to carbon date it. Synthetic nicotine is derived from petroleum products. So it is older than the carbon found in uh, tobacco nicotine, which is from the carbon from the atmosphere. So, uh, you know, it's really hard for them to go back and tell whether they're telling the truth, whether it's synthetic nicotine or not. And the bottom line is nicotine is nicotine in the body. You know, it doesn't matter if it's derived from tobacco or not, but this is another way that the vaping industry is trying to get around regulation. And this is what the tobacco and vaping industry absolutely knows is 88% of adult daily smokers started by the age of 18. They know that they get need to get the kids on nicotine before the age of 18, because quite honestly, especially beyond the age of 25, how many people do you know who started smoking after the age of 25 and continue to smoke as adults? It's pretty rare. Almost everyone who starts smoking starts before the age of 18. If you know, maybe you get a few between 18 and 25, but really the addiction comes earlier and they've got to get the kids, the tobacco in the kids' hands. And this played out during the original tobacco legislation internal memos from Philip Morris that came out um, from the 1980s. Today's teenager is tomorrow's potential regular customer, and the overwhelming majority of smokers first begin to smoke while they're in their teens. At least part of the success of Marlboro Red during its most rapid period was because it became the brand of choice among teenagers who then stuck with it as they grew older. They knew they know that they need brand recognition, they need brand loyalty, and that's going to start young. To pretend that this industry is going to regulate itself is really just pie in the sky. They know that they need to get people young so that they have those adult smokers later on. And I'm using kind of vaping and smoking interchangeably here because we know that kids who start out vaping end up vaping and normally doing both, if not just switching to smoking altogether. Several studies have shown this, but compared to those who had never used an e-cigarette, those reported ever e-cigarette use had higher odds of current traditional cigarette use when requested the next year. So they started out vaping by the next year, they were vaping and smoking. And then compared to those who did not use e-cigarettes, those who use e-cigarettes had higher odds of ever smoking traditional cigarettes within the past five years. So in the higher odds of sustained smoking. So um, they start out vaping, they become addicted to nicotine, and then they end up using both. So how did we get here? What leads the youth to use these e-cigarettes? What happened in 2018 to cause that huge rise in numbers that we're seeing? And it, it boils down to kind of three things. One, this highly addictive nicotine that I'm talking about, this nicotine salt that Juul patented itself. Two is aggressive advertising and advertising on non-traditional sources like social media. And three is flavors. So when we think about the nicotine in uh, pods, uh, one pack of cigarettes has about 20 milligrams of nicotine. And, and really they'll say between 22 and, and 36 milligrams of nicotine. And part of that is because it depends on how you smoke a cigarette. So a cigarette, you light it and then you smoke it. And if you wave your arm around in between inhales, if you inhale shallow, you're not going to get as much nicotine than if you take a big deep breath and puff, 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 right? So it depends on the smoker, how much nicotine they're getting. With an e-cigarette, it's not that way. You know, you only activate it when you breathe in. So you really get all of the nicotine that's in that pod. So a Juul pod is about 41 cigarettes or 41 milligrams of nicotine. So about a pack, pack and a half of cigarettes. A puff bar has even more. And a Soren pod has even more, almost a double. 
if not more of the amount. So very high nicotine products. And you will get, you know, the easy way to think about it is one puff bar or one um, jewel is about a pack of cigarettes. And you will get teenagers who go to party and go through a jewel, go through a puff bar. So a whole pack of cigarettes worth within a couple of hours it does not make them feel good. All pods contain high levels of nicotine. This is another thing. When you talk to your adolescent patients, many of them believe that they're just vaping flavors, that there's no nicotine in it. Um, they've done multiple studies to show that, oh, guess what? When they look for nicotine derivatives in those teens' urine, they have nicotine derivatives in there. So they are vaping nicotine, but they just think it's flavors and it's fine and it's no big deal. And what are you so worried about, mom? And what we're finding is that those numbers are going down a little bit as far as past 30 day use. Unfortunately, what is still continuing to rise is the number of kids who are saying they're addicted to nicotine. So what's rising is 38.9%. We're saying they use e-cigarettes frequently. So that's 20 or more in the past 30 days. And 22.5% were using them daily. And that was in 2020 and 2021, that's gone up even more. So now 43.5% of high school students had used for more than 20 days of the last 30 days. So even though the numbers are going down, the people who are using it are using it more often. Youth are exposed to a lot of e-cigarette advertising from many different sources and retail stores is the most common. I know every time I pump my gas at the um, Valero station, they have a little video playing that is frequently advertising e-cigarettes. You know, you, you see this stuff everywhere. And the um, Stanford Tobacco Project has some great, a great website that really looks at this. They, all they had to do was take the same advertising concepts that worked before and use it again. So uh, they knew exactly what to do. So, you know, we know from getting those traditional cigarette rates down in adolescence, how susceptible they are to advertising embedded within shows. You know, products obviously know that very well. That's why they do it. We really need to start regulating all these shows that are being streamed as well, not just traditional media. Uh, you know, I, like I said, I have two teenagers. I can't, I, I can't remember the last time they watched traditional network television. They're, they're always watching on their phones mostly, and it's all just streamed media. So we need to look at how to regulate that. Jewel, you know, Jewel is the superstar in social media. They had paid influencers, they did digital advertising, they did branded pages. Multiple studies looked at the way that Jewel particularly used Instagram as a way to get uh, young people addicted to their product. 55% of their posts were found to have youth-oriented content. They did under pressure, you know, I talked about in 2018, those numbers came out, they started to get pressure. They did suspend their social media campaign. But what they found is at that point it had taken off. So now at this point, it's, there's tons of user-generated content with hashtag Jewel. So it's, it's its own thing now. You know, Instagram is one thing. The kids are all on vape, uh, TikTok now. So I just went on my TikTok account and put in vape talk. Um, and all of these different um, uh, TikTok videos came up. One of them was just kind of showing her cool new vape. And another one was tips on where you can hide your vapes, which was, you know, as a parent, super fun to see. And they had some great ideas of where you could hide the vapes. So if you're a parent, this is uh, maybe some places you want to start looking. They also sell camouflage vaping devices, um, one that looks like an Apple Watch, one that looks like your drink 
one that uh, this hoodie uh, costs like $40 online and you can hide your vape in the back and you vape through the drawstring of the hoodie. So all designed as ways that your teachers and parents can't catch you. And, and that's the hard thing about vaping is, you know, cigarette smoke, we all smell right away. We recognize that smell right away. And we know what it is right away. Um, you walk by someone who's vaping and it smells like Starburst or candy or something like that. Uh, you're not necessarily going to recognize it. So we kind of talked about advertising and the way they got people through advertising. We talked about addictive nicotine and, you know, we're kind of segueing now into talking about flavor and how important flavor was in how we got high schoolers addicted. Um, so here are some of the flavors of Puffbar, very popular brand among high school and middle schoolers. High schoolers, 72% of them are using fruit flavor, middle schoolers too, 33% um, candy, desserts, other sweets flavor. This is from the 2021 National Youth Tobacco Survey. So this is after the ban on flavor pods went out and still, you know, 72% of people are using fruit flavor. I mean, they're all using these flavored ones. They're not listing tobacco flavor as a flavor at all that they're using. 30% menthol, 23% menthol in middle school. One funny thing I thought was that the middle schoolers are more likely to use the alcoholic drink flavors than the high schoolers. I don't know if the high schoolers are just drinking alcoholic drinks so they feel like they don't need to vape it. I don't know, it's a little scary. So what are the effects of flavors and products? We know that when people use flavored products, they have more favorable perceptions of tobacco use. It's associated with increased initiation and of tobacco use and subsequent nicotine dependence. And we know that teenagers who are vaping Non-traditional flavors like cooked candy, fruit candies, and sweets were more likely to continue vaping six months later and take more puffs for vaping session. So that's where I'm talking about, you know, a kid going to a party and going through a whole puff bar at a party. And that fruit and candy flavored uh, e-cigarettes are perceived as less harmful than tobacco flavored e-cigarettes. This is definitely something I see um, when I'm talking to patients in my practice where they think, oh, it's just fruit. What's the big deal? No big deal. So to talk a little bit about why that's a big deal, we talked about, you know, the nicotine and nicotine in and itself is a problem. Nicotine in and of itself can cause harm, but all these other chemicals are in vapes as well. So you're vaping in all these chemicals. And, and one of the real strategies that the vaping industry uses used was call, calling it vaping in the first place. It's really an aerosol. It's, it should be, people should be think of it as aerosol, like hairspray, rather than a vape vaping like water vapor. It is not water vapor. It is aerosolized chemicals going into you. There are a lot of metals as well. And that's because the vape has a battery and a metal coil, which heats up the liquid. And so they found that the, um, some of the metal from the metal coil particles gets into the e-liquid as well. So that's what you're breathing in. And we don't even know for sure what is in all of these e-liquids. Certainly when they test the e-liquids in labs, what's listed on the bottle isn't necessarily what they find. The other thing, you know, you have to think of, if you remember chemistry and organic chemistry, if you mix two chemicals together and then heat them up, you may get a third chemical. So, you know, the third chemical isn't going to be something that's listed on the bottle. And that may be a carcinogen too. We also have the fun new emergence of non-nicotine vapes. So these um, you can buy at Urban Outfitters, um, a vitamin B12 vape that I bought on Amazon. These, since they have no nicotine in them, they are completely unregulated. So anyone, a six-year-old can go to Urban Outfitters and buy um, one of these vape products and they're sold as wellness products. So we see a melatonin vape and it's sold as something to take the edge off at the end of the day and help you go to sleep. Once again, breathing in all those chemicals. 
So what can we do about it? I've given you all of these different things that are going on. And I want to, I want to also send you away with some ideas of how you can help. So what are the messages resonating with teens right now? I mean, I would say this is also applies to young adults. One, nicotine is very addictive. Two, vaping affects lung health. Um, teenagers are actually really caring about lung health these days. Three, the vaping industry is manipulative. Four, they're testing out in focus groups the idea of mental health and vaping. Uh, so once I, you know, I went back to that idea of the wellness vapes. Certainly the vaping industry is trying to sell their products, even the ones containing nicotine as something to help you relax at the end of the day. And, you know, we need to remind teenagers that no, 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 nicotine is addictive and it increases your heart rate, it increases your blood pressure. Um, people who have high doses of nicotine look very, very much the same as people who are having panic attacks. It will increase your anxiety. It can increase your depression. And teenagers are really thinking about mental health these days. Um, the other things that teenagers are really uh, resonating with these days is environmental impact. So when you look at these disposable vapes, uh, you throw them away, you throw this away, you're throwing away toxins and a lithium battery. And so that's harmful to the environment. So, you know, it's, it's looking at your patient in front of you and thinking which of these messages is going to resonate with this, this teenager. If I have a teenager who is a star of the musical coming up or a star of her basketball team, I may, may lean into the lung health aspect of it. Talk about how vaping, uh, you have an increased rate of getting COVID if you vape, uh, things like that. If I have a, a teenager who has a lot of addiction in their family and has been affected by that, I may be playing in the messaging about nicotine is very addictive. Or if I had someone who I know really cares about the environment, looking at that aspect. So really knowing your, your patient in front of you and thinking about what message is going to resonate with them. A few different uh, public service announcements that the FDA has put out, really looking at um, nicotine addiction, looking at lung health. If you go online, you can find some other ones looking at the environmental impact and mental health impact of vaping. So I think these are great messages to send out. The other one I love is just, you know, really talking about how the um, tobacco and vaping industry is trying to manipulate their generation. And that is how we got people off of traditional cigarettes. So that was the messaging that finally worked to get those numbers from 1997 to 2017 to go down as far as traditional cigarettes. It was that, you know, look at what the tobacco industry is doing. Look at how they're trying to manipulate you. Don't you want to rebel against them instead of rebelling against us? Because for teenagers, it's all about rebellion and knowing that they're smarter than everyone else. So, you know, kind of playing into that messaging and showing them how uh, the vaping and tobacco industry is really one thing and that they're trying to lie, lie and manipulate them. You know, I think when you're looking at young adults or people who are parents, it's a really helpful time to talk about living with an e-cigarette user carries risk. So when I'm seeing a newborn, I'm definitely going to ask their parents uh, about if they vape and make sure that they know that it carries a risk to their child. And so we know that there is second and third hand exposure. I think all of us know what second hand exposure is, but third hand exposure is if you feel e-cigarette liquid, it is actually really oily. And so you breathe it in, you breathe it out and a fine layer of oil kind of gets on everything. And what they found is toddlers, you know, touch everything, rub their eyes, put their hands in their mouth. And uh, when they test the toddlers, 
of parents who vape, the toddlers will have nicotine derivatives in their urine. Um, so they are getting exposed to that nicotine. There has been a death in a toddler from e-cigarette solution poisoning. That stuff, the flavored stuff smells very good. It is supposed to be in child resistant packaging, but that doesn't always work. And it is very enticing for toddlers. And then anything that has a battery has a risk of fires, burns, or explosions. I don't have time to go into all of the ways to talk to youth about tobacco cessation. That really is its own hour long lecture, but I didn't want to go away without giving you some resources. And this is really the best resource out there. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics about two months ago put out this resource online, Youth Tobacco Cessation Considerations for Clinicians. And it talks all about how to talk to uh, teenagers about tobacco use and um, how to use nicotine replacement therapy in teenagers. It is not FDA approved for teenagers, but it is the only thing that, that has a chance of working. The medications, the prescription medications have not been, sh have been shown actually not to work in teenagers for traditional tobacco. Certainly uh, vaping hasn't been out long enough to be able to do studies to, to tell whether it works for vaping, uh, but we don't have a lot of hope for that. And it's hard to study teenagers in vaping cessation because you have to get consent from their parents to enroll them in a trial and, and teenagers don't want to do that. So uh, it, it's hard to study, but uh, nicotine replacement therapy is something that you can use. They do have to have a prescription for it though, since they're um, under the age to buy nicotine. There are different referral sources uh, where you can refer teens to help. I mean, those also normally have parents help links as well. So if the teen is not interested, but the parent wants to learn more, you can refer the parent as well. And then always, 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 we have to use public policy to affect change as well. You know, I can't get rid of flavors on my own. I'm going to count on public policy to do that. And when you're looking at public policy, I'm going to swing back around to that whole push and pull of are e-cigarettes useful as adults as a way to get them to quit smoking? Because certainly anything that can get adults to quit smoking is a good thing. Or does the benefit of that is, is that do they work to do that? And does the benefit of that outweigh the fact that you're going to get youth addicted to new youth addicted to nicotine? So several public agencies have come out on this. The National Academy of Science, Engineering and Medicine in 2018 said, uh, no, overall, there's limited evidence that e-cigarettes may be effective aids to promote sm smoking cessation. The report of the Surgeon General there in red came to the con same conclusion. The evidence is suggested, but not sufficient to infer the use of e-cigarettes containing nicotine is better than e-cigarettes not containing nicotine, but really you shouldn't use e-cigarettes at all. The U.S. Preventive Task Force, same thing. The Cochrane Review, however, found different, that there's moderate certainty evidence that electronic cigarettes with nicotine can increase quit rates. So let's talk about that a little bit more. So there is some literature to suggest that the use of e-cigarettes can help adults quit smoking, but there's huge caveats associated with that literature. The biggest one is that their studies are not in the U.S. So there was a JAMA commentary in 2020, looked at studies from England, New Zealand, and Canada, and those studies did suggest the use of e-cigarettes can increase sustained smoking cessation rates. And that's why the Cochrane Review came to their conclusion. However, Notice once again, those studies were not in the US and the difference is in the US, our e-cigarettes have higher levels of nicotine in them. So there have been two recent studies looking at the ends, which is e-cigarettes use as a way to stop smoking in adults in the United States. And both of these have concluded that we should not be using e-cigarettes as a cessation tool 
in the United States. So given the uncertainty about the long-term health effects of e-cigarettes and the likelihood of becoming dual users, like I said, you know, same with the teenagers, instead of just vaping, they became vapors and smokers. What happens normally when um, adults try and use e-cigarettes as a way to stop smoking is they just become smokers and vapors. So they start using both products instead of using only smoking. Um, there is some evidence to suggest that using both is worse than one or the other. Vaping alone is probably, it is um, slightly safer than smoking alone, but using both of them together is probably more dangerous than using either alone. None of them are good for you. So, you know, the second study, same conclusion, they use a nationally representative cohort. They did not find any evidence that switching to e-cigarettes prevents relapse into cigarette smoking. But this contradicts then what the FDA said in their statement on when they allowed the view solo. So the FDA looked at industry supported and funded research, not necessarily peer, peer reviewed research. The industry submitted their own data and they said the manufacturer's data demonstrates this tobacco flavor products could benefit addicted adult smoker. Shocking that the industry uh, was able to show that they could benefit adult smokers. This is not consistent with, with what peer-reviewed data from the United States is saying. So what's happening in our state? Current tobacco laws in Texas. So right now we have no smoke-free indoor air law. Where you live probably does. Um, so those are 100 plus cities have adopted local ordinances, but there is no state ordinance against indoor smoking. A lot of those local ordinances actually don't apply to vaping as well. So that's something that you should look into in your own city. Houston, technically, where I live, you are allowed to vape indoors in bars and restaurants. Most people don't. Most people don't know that uh, the law is written that way, but it is something we're trying to change. There is an excise tax on traditional cigarettes, but not on e-cigarettes, which makes it cheaper to buy e-cigarettes in the long run than traditional cigarettes. So we certainly don't want that to happen. Tobacco control funding is well below CDC recommendations. We do have the age of 21. So that is a great thing about Texas, but just kind of inconsistent tobacco laws and definition and tax health and safety code. And once again, you know, that goes back to, to the intricacies of saying nicotine products instead of tobacco products, because you then you have companies like Puff Bark going and saying, we're not derived from tobacco. So we're, we're free to do whatever we want. So you have to be really specific in your language when you're writing law. Our legislative agenda for this past legislative session did try to increase taxes on conventional cigarettes by at least a dollar a pack, and we wanted to impose that excess excise tax on e-cigarettes. We wanted to ban all characterizing flavors, including menthol. Um, that is our goal, but that did not happen. And then requiring all e-cigarette retailers to obtain a permit to sell e-cigarettes. And I'll talk a little bit about why that's important. We had a big coalition of public health physician experts who were all behind this, including TMA and Texas Pediatric Society, family physicians, American College of Physicians. Everyone can agree this is not good for our, our youth. The taxes on e-cigarettes, there's no federal excise tax on e-cigarettes, and Texas does not have an excise tax on e-cigarettes. 19 states do, so this is something that can be done. And we know that taxes are particularly effective in discouraging youth use of tobacco products. So youth are, are very sensitive to raising prices of anything. And so once again, the average price of a pack of cigarettes in Texas is $6.37. A four pack of Juul pods is about $3.75 a pod. And so once you buy the Juul, which is the Juul device you can buy for about 15 bucks, then, you know, it costs almost half amount, you know, nicotine for nicotine um, product wise.
So 19 states in the Washington, D.C. have imposed a tax on e-cigarettes. If Louisiana can do it, we can do it. Tobacco retailer permit. This was our legislative uh, win. Uh, Senator Johnson uh, did have Senate Bill 248. It did get passed. And it does require anyone selling e-cigarettes to obtain a permit. And the reason why this is important is because it lets us know where the retailers are. There's a study done uh, recently in Houston. It showed that 62% of Houston schools are within 1,000 feet of a tobacco retailer. And there were 24 times more tobacco retailers than McDonald's in the city of Houston. So, you know, if they have to have a permit, then at least we know where they are. And it can help us enforce compliance with regulation. National advocacy, the flavors probably isn't going to happen at a state level. Some state and local governments have done it, but I think we're going to have to look at national for this. Once again, you know, flavors very, very much target youth. When asked about why they use e-cigarettes, it comes in flavors I like, like was listed as the number one reason by 81% of adolescents, 83% of young adults. It wasn't in the top five reasons listed if you were over 25. So, you know, banning flavors, we do think would really curb adolescent use. Um, and we're really going to depend. It's, we're going to have to see what the FDA says about this. For the views, when they did come out, they did say that it can only be tobacco flavor was the only thing approved right now. They left menthol open, but they did ban the other like fruit flavors. So hopefully that trend will continue. The American Academy of Pediatrics is doing a lot for national advocacy on vaping. So uh, their priorities is, you know, really looking at those internet sales. I talked about how easy it was for me to buy an e-cig over the internet. I had to say I was 21, but okay. We need to uh, reduce youth demand by banning all the flavors. Once again, national priority. You know, we, we really need to be looking at advertising. This goes into the whole issue of social media, misinformation and advertising on social media, which is just uniquely able to target teens in, in such direct ways. Um, you know, I think it's really interesting. I, I have social media accounts I have bought vape products online so I can show you for these presentations and I never receive vape ads. Every once in a while, I get a text from a vaping industry. I, I never see vaping ads. All my advertisement are for menopausal women. My teenagers though, see vape ads all the time. If I ask them, they see them on Snapchat and Instagram. So uh, this is something we need to be regulating. And so, you know, I really encourage you to get active on this issue. This is a priority for TMA, and it really should be a priority for all of us as parents, all of us who care about the health of teenagers and young adults and are just sick of seeing people die of preventable diseases. I want to thank uh, everyone who has helped me with this presentation. <laughs> this has definitely been a group effort. really want to thank my, uh, I have some funding through the Cancer Prevention Research Institute of Texas to help with the uh, e-cigarette education. And thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. McGee. To our listeners, we hope you found this CME to go episode enlightening. And we hope you're able to use this information to talk to your patients about vaping and overcoming nicotine addiction. Physicians, you may claim CME credit for today's episode and other TMA Practicewell episodes at www.texmed.org forward slash CMETOGO or click the link in the episode description to register for this episode, The Rise of E-Cigarette Use in Teens, and follow the instructions to claim CME.
And remember to like and follow to receive every episode from TMA Practice Well. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.